Thanks very much. If you could have your Bibles open, um, have it open to Daniel 6 as we hear from his word. Let's pray before we do anything else. Lord, once again, we thank you so much for your word that it's powerful, and we um, thank you that it has been speaking to us um, throughout the week and the past weeks, and we pray that you will do it again. We pray that these um, words that will come out of my mouth will become your words that speak to people um, and shape the way that we live, shape our minds and shape our uh, tasks and all the things that we do, shape our motivations and purpose. Lord, we pray that especially as we continue this work, uh, series on work, that our work life will be transformed as a result. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you haven't noticed, uh, this is, uh, you should have had this uh, insert with you. So in the first uh, page of the insert, it's got the um, sermon headings, and in the back are the links questions that you will discuss. Um, so don't throw this away, uh, especially as you come to links. Um, I do bring this with you with your sermon notes so you could have something to con- contribute as well. But let me pull this out. This is, I pulled this out of my refrigerator, freezer, this, this morning. It actually has gone bad already. <laughs> I was supposed to eat this in, by August 2012. Um, I was going to say, this meat, um, meat like this goes bad when you leave it out. For a day, even if you buy a fresh meat from the market, even in a day, it will go bad. Um, Especially in the summer months, you know, you can't leave it out for half a day uh, because it's so hot. Um, The temperature and the bacteria and and the little spores of fungi will settle on the meat and uh, the meat will go bad. They'll do uh, their work. It needs to be refrigerated. Now, um, in a place where there was no refrigerator, there's still places like that, um, but, you know, when this wasn't available, you had to salt the meat. You had to salt the meat in order to preserve the meat. If you were to cook it, the salt would make it tasty, um, uh, but at the very least, it would keep it for a while. And as Jesus preached in that famous Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the, of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. The company we work for, the city we live in, the organizations we volunteer, and the family in which we, we, we live, that's the, that's the meat. That's the meat. And you are the salt. You preserve this. Well, this has already gone bad, but you preserve the world, the meat from going bad. You could turn it into tasty beef jerky, or you could preserve it. And that's part of God's mission for all of us. We have a missional role because we are salt and light in this world. And that's why we are sent to every corner of the earth as well, and every conceivable job that's out there on earth as well. During the 2000, mid-2000 financial meltdown, we blame the banks, we blame the financial institutions, we blame greed, we lamented the fact that the world is so greedy, and we, we pointed fingers every, everywhere else. But really, we are the salt of the earth. When the financial market goes bad, it's not the, uh, the fault of the meat, it's not the fault of the world that, that, that it's going bad, it's supposed to go bad. We are supposed to be in there, preserving it. 
making it tasty or preserving it at the very least. When the government abuses its power or make unjust rules, we can't just blame the government. Do we have enough Christian politicians? Do we have enough Christians there voicing their opinions publicly? Last summer in Hong Kong, the conditions were just... Um, like summers in Hong Kong, conditions in the world are just right for the world to go bad. But we are the salt of the earth. And we have to put ourselves in, 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 just at the, at the, at the grains of the society. We have to be the salt that sort of rubbed into the meat itself. What this means is that we have to accept the fact that we live on earth. That we have to accept the realities and adjust to the realities of this world so that we can be effective as salt. Um, and that's what we see Daniel. That's what we see Daniel doing in, in chapter 6, and all of Daniel, in fact. Uh, we, don't have to, we don't have time to look into all the details, but if we go back to Daniel 1, we'll see, for example, examples of how Daniel accepted the realities, adjusted, and made himself part of the world, don't we? We see him taking a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. He accepts Babylonian education. He speaks Babylonian language. He accepts employment in the civil service of the Babylonian empire. By end of chapter 2, he is made a governor of, uh, a governor, and he rules over, once again, the, the magis, the, the magicians. Daniel knows that he doesn't belong to Babylon. He lives in exiles. In fact, you see how he prays towards Jerusalem in verse 10. He prays towards Jerusalem three times a day because he knows that he belongs there. But he lives in Babylon. He might even have been praying for Babylon as he prayed for uh, three, times, uh, three times a day. Um, taking the instruction of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, which basically commanded the Israelites to settle into the land and make their homes there and be part of the society there. This is what uh, Jeremiah wrote. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat, their, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too, uh, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and seek peace, uh, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I, I have carried you in exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It was probably hard enough for the exiles um, to imagine that they could pray to Yahweh in Babylon. After all, Yahweh had lost, right? For many people, they felt like they had lost. They were carried into exile. But Jeremiah says, from there, pray to Yahweh, Yahweh God. Pray actually for the city, for the good of the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And whether Daniel prayed for the government or not, his actions speak uh, speaks loud. He speak loud. He was an impeccable citizen of the Babylonian Empire, an impe- impeccable public servant. Look at what the narrator tells us about Daniel. When, Dar- Daniel, uh, when, when Darius, King Darius, appoints 120 satraps, these are provincial governors, all over the Babylonian Empire, he puts three admini- administrators in charge. And Daniel had so distinguished himself that, uh, uh, that Darius wanted to make him a number, the number two man. 
number two man. And the, um, even when the jealous officials then plotted against them, um, they find no corruption. He never took bribes. He never used public funds. He probably didn't go on expensive yacht trips with uh, his private sector friends that might compromise the way he works. Or he probably would not have modified his homes illegally. Um, He was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 4. He was impeccable in his ethics, but not only in his ethics, but in his work. They could not find uh, any negligence in his work. Ordinary Babylonian citizens were probably better off because Daniel was in charge. He was salt. He was light, even in the Babylonian empire. Not because he tried to evangelize, but because serving Yahweh made him a better, uh, made him better in his workplace. Because he, it made him a better citizen and a worker. And because he was a good citizen and a good worker, He becomes a great witness to Yahweh God. You are the salt of the earth. Are you in? Are you in the society? Are you in your company? Are you are you sort of rubbed into the world so that the world can taste your saltiness? Are you good? Are you doing good in your workplaces? Are you trustworthy, um, as Daniel is called, um, neither corrupt nor negligent? But having said that, I mean, being good and doing good in this world without compromising integrity is easier said than done. Uh, if we go back to the salt and light metaphor, I mean, salt and light are useful because it provides contrast, because they're so different from the rest of the world. And at the heart of it is the fact, the, the thing that makes it difficult is that the world, the public square, serves a different God. For satraps and other two administrators, it's fairly obvious what they serve, what their idols are. They idolize power, don't they? Power, status, comfort, or whatever that Daniel threatened in their jobs. We're not given exact reasons why they started to, um, to plot against Daniel, but it's clear that their status quo, that their power and, and their, their status were threatened because of Daniel. There might be even hint of nationalism. Maybe nationalism is an idol. And, um, uh, or, and there's budding anti-Semitism here too, isn't there? Presumably, they were good Babylonians. And they look at this young man who has this meteoric rise, and then they look at the young man and go, wow, this guy is a Jew. He was taken as a slave. Now they're going to, he's going to rule over us. So they flatter the king, and they make him think, they make him think that he is their idol. Oh, we don't want to pray uh, to any other gods. We want to pray to you. We want others to pray to you and you alone, they say. But really, they're using the king to manipulate him to get what they want, to serve their idol, idols. So, um, so that's their idol. But how about the king? I think kings, um, it's a bit more subtle, but the king worships something here too. It seems to me he's, he worships his own vanity, him, himself, his face, his reputation, his esteem. I mean, he obviously goes along with this plan. He knows he's not God. Um, he goes along with this plan because it flatters his, his ego, ego his, his vanity. Why not, he might have thought. I'm the king over the empire. I am actually the one who can make things happen. 
Why not people pray to me? Why not people come to me for 30 days? But he's quickly trapped um, by his idol as well. Um, because he's manipulated by uh, by the satraps and the administrators. Um, They they flatter his ego, but they suggest that not only do they say, why don't we do this, but they say, why don't we put this in writing? So in verse 8, so it cannot be altered uh, or repealed. And after they see Daniel praying, after this has become the law, they see Daniel praying, and they go to the king in verse 12 and ask him about, about the decrees. King, you know about the decrees that you said, and then they make him they make him repeat it. Um, and, and and so the king says in verse twelve, the decree stands; it cannot be repealed. And it's only after they make him say this again, they remind him yet again. And when they see the king distressed, they remind the king in verse fifteen: "Remember, your Majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict can be changed." You see, what they have done is that they have trapped him into his idolatry of vanity. Of course, as a king, he could issue another decree. He's the king. He could say, my words before, doesn't matter anymore. I'll issue another one. This is what the law is. But they made this about him, about his vanity, and what, what he said, his authority. And he's trapped. And because he has to save his face, his, his reputation, he laments despite the fact that Daniel was his best administrator, the best civil servant, one who could do no wrong without any corruption, negligence, an asset to the empire and to him, he decides to give him up to the lion's den. And what it also goes to show you here is that whatever we do, wherever we are, the country we live in, the work that we do, the, the company that you work for, um, it has this sort of totalizing or idolizing force. It wants to take over your life. Just as this empire takes over your, uh, their life altogether, it becomes sort of semi-god. Um, and it, 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 your job and the places that you live in or whatever it is that, you put, uh, that you're working in and you're working for, it has this sort of idolizing force towards it. It wants to take over your life. I mean, I can see this even in the church life. I think um, I'm tempted to serve the church rather than God. And the jobs that you work in, you work for, will want to control you, want to have this totalizing force over your life as well. Though you think you're using your job to serve your life, the job will want you to be its servant. So, have you thought about that? What are the idols of the public square? What are the idols of, of, of life around you? Is it the job itself for you? Reputation, vanity, your comfort, status, power, health, individual freedom, sometimes I think is idolized. Happiness, I think happiness has taken on this sort of idol status in these days. Um, Rather than trying to find a meaningful life, um, we have made happiness our God, and we sacrifice so much to find happiness, forgetting that actually happiness is a byproduct of having a meaningful life, of serving God in a meaningful way. In any case, discern what the idols are in the public square. Discern what they are in your workplaces. Keep yourselves away from those idols. There is this spiritual warfare that is being waged every day. 
It's difficult and it has its casualties. Our work done in the right way is not only missional, it's also confrontational. It's confrontational. And that's really, I think, a nice line. It's not my line. It's Chris Wright's line. It's confrontational. It's missional because it serves society, serves the society, but it's confrontational because it goes against the grains of the society, idols of the society. Are you fighting this fight? Is your integrity intact? Or has it been um, a casualty? Integrity means this. There is no dichotomy b- between your public and, and, and pub- a public and private face, between the sacred and secular, between the person that I am at work and the person that I am on Sunday at, in the church, between what you say and what you do, between what we claim to believe and what we actually practice in life. And Daniel, integrity is at stake. He's being pressurized, but he keeps his integrity. As he had done many times before, as he does every day, he kneels before his God with the windows open in verse 10, and he prays towards Jerusalem. He gave thanks to God. In that circumstance, he gives thanks to God, and then he asks for help. He asks for help. He goes to God because he has been serving God all along in his job, in his life, and he he's seeking God's help now. But as you do this, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if things get difficult. Serving God in workplace, uh, keeping your sacred and, and, and secular self one, is difficult. Just as Daniel lived in the, in the, in exile, we live in a foreign land, in exile. Not everybody in the world acknowledges Jesus as their Lord. A person who was working for the first time, um, after university, uh, was interviewed by a Christian magazine, and what she said struck me, and the, the quote will come up here. This is what she said. The one thing that I regret not being told, or not having the foresight to figure out, is why secular work can seem so, di- can seem so tough. For the first time in my life, I've been forced to spend 60 to 70 hours a week in an environment that is essentially godless. The people don't know God. The aim of the work, fame, success, etc., seems to echo only those of the Tower of Babylon, Tower of Babel. The the motives of work are uh, are in complete ignorance of God. I wanted to work in thinking that materialism, alcohol, success would be the things that that I have to fight against. I was wrong. These things were only symptoms of an environment that didn't know God and worship a different God. In such an environment, you will stand out, sometimes in bad ways. And please don't believe the popular theology that says you will suffer only because, uh, because uh, as a result of disobedience or because of lack of faith. Remember the words of Job. Um, words of friends of Job. <laughs> friends of Job go to Job and say, you did something wrong. Surely you must have done something wrong. That's why you're suffering. Surely because of the lack of faith, you are suffering. But that's not. Uh, Job's friends are rebuked and refuted. Jesus too says, don't be surprised. Actually, he says more than that. Remember what he says in, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. Blessed are you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I think there's a thing there, maybe. Um, anyway, 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you know what the next line out of that is? Right after the Beatitudes is the line, you are the salt and light of the world. You might be persecuted, but you are the salt and light of this world. In fact, Daniel wasn't rescued from suffering. He wasn't rescued from suffering. He was rescued from death. He didn't die, but he wasn't rescued from suffering. He was persecuted. He suffered. He was sent into the lion's pit. He had to spend the night with the lions. God sent his presence there with him. He was, God was with him through the suffering, but he wasn't saved from suffering itself. It might be that you are the, um, you might, you might, you might be the least popular person in the office because you refuse to lie maybe about your expense reports. I mean, everybody else is lying about it and they want you to lie about your expense, but um, you, you, you refuse because you serve Jesus in your workplace. It might be that you prioritize your family. You prioritize other things that are important over work itself. It might be that you are literally fired because you refuse to do something for your boss, refuse to lie for your boss. It might be that you are fired because you refuse to lie down to your boss's idol, literally or figuratively. I think in China, I mean, it could be a, a, figure, a, a, a literal um, a thing, um, literal t- pressure. It might be that you're passed over promotion because you're just not deemed aggressive enough, because you're not participating in this sort of competitive work environment. If the world is like a dark room after the sun goes down, and you are the light in that room, people, people will either be drawn to you or people want to snuff it out, snuff the light out. Of course, we shouldn't look for suffering. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Um, Daniel certainly didn't go out of his way to look for suffering. They actively conspired against him we should be only suffering in our workplaces, really, um, because we're suffering, if we're suffering for God's sake. Anyway, well, whether you're suffering or not, I wonder whether you trust that in that environment, in your work and over your life, that God is completely sovereign, that he is completely in control. Daniel trusted the sovereign God even as he was thrown into the Daniel's, uh, lion's pit. Satraps and administrators, even the king, uh, they, they all want to be the final authority. They want to say that they have the final, uh, uh, final, final say in things. But the whole story tells us that God is in control. And that's what Daniel says as he comes out of the pit, right? In verse 21, he actually says, he affirms the position of the king as he comes out of the pit. Out of the pit. He says, may, in verse 21, may the king live forever. He doesn't say, oh, you're not king anymore. He doesn't say that. He says, you, may, may the king live forever. He recognized this is the king as a person who has been uh, delegated, this, uh, de- delegated this power and authority. But then he then talks about God and how God has rescued him. He affirms God's authority in the next verse. May, uh, my God sent his angel and he shut, his mo- uh, shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. In God's sight, they tried to hurt me. You couldn't do anything, but God 
judged me and he found me innocent and he rescued me. Which is actually what Daniel means. Daniel means God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. Um, God is my judge. God found him innocent and God rescued him. And the verdict is made clear in verse 23. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God is a rescuing God in adversity. So whatever you might go through, trust God. But actually, I want to say from greater to lesser argument, I want to make that argument right now. God is a rescuing God even in the times of trouble. But even when things are not in trouble... I want you to trust in the sovereignty of God. It must be in the ordinary, most prosaic, in your report writing, or grocery shopping, lesson planning, researching, or negotiating with a, a clients, or whatever it is. We must trust that God is sovereign and God is present with you. It's Daniel's faith that allowed him to serve God, not only in the lion's pit, but in his job. In the, during the time of exile, in the things that he was doing, even as he was serving the Babylonian Empire, he trusted that God was sovereign over his life and over his work. And I suppose I am going back to the fundamentals of this series, the work series. Do we trust that really God created our work? That God has put us into places of our work? Do we trust that our work matters to God? that our work should be done for God? Do we trust that God is using our past and ambition for his glory in our workplaces now, in our life now? Do we work to glorify God? Do we trust that God will sustain us in every day, in everyday work, even in the times of trouble? Do we trust that, that God is in our, in our workplace and has given us this privilege of working for him? You might have heard this story but I think it's a good one. It's worthwhile hearing again. Uh, three Masons were working side by side. They were asked the same question. What are you doing? The first person said, I'm laying bricks. The second one was asked the same question. What are you doing? He said, I'm building a wall. The third one was asked the same question. What are you doing? He says, I'm building cathedral. I'm building a cathedral. You have to trust that you are building a cathedral, that you are part of God's plan of bringing kingdom of God here on earth through the work that you do, through the families that you raise, through the relationships that you have, through everything that you are doing, that God is in control over that situation, that God has put you there. You're not just employers. You're kings and queens who bear the image of God, who's doing God's work here on earth. You are people who work for Jesus. You are people who are doing good, who are being good. You are people who are distinct in this world. You're people who go against the flow. You're people who speak of Jesus not only with your words, but with your actions. You're people who trust God in all circumstances. And as you see, in the, even the worst of the circumstances, God brings his glory out. And God will bring his glory out in your daily work at the end of the day. Daniel, in many ways, is a prototype of Christ. Both Daniel and Jesus are victims of conspiracies and betrayals uh, from people whose positions threatened and jealous. They then go to a higher authority, don't they? 
both the the um, the priests, high priests, and and, and the, the the teachers of the law, and, and the satraps and administrators, they go to a higher authority. Um, and and these people then say, then they affirm that they they say, I, we have no other god than you, the Caesar, right? So in Jesus' case, or in this case, um, Darius the king. They both rely um, on God, and they're both sort of their their seal is is um, their their tomb is sealed, um, their fate is sealed in 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 Jesus' case and Daniel's case, both uh, literally and figuratively. Jesus is hung on the cross and he dies a criminal's death, but when the sun rose again, Daniel is rescued. Jesus dies his death. But God vindicates him by raising him from the dead. I hope as you go back to your workplace tomorrow, that you will trust in the sovereignty of God, that God is at work there. If you're going through trouble, I hope you will trust in the rescuing God, that God will rescue you and vindicate you because you trusted Jesus Christ. I hope you will be serving Christ. And don't be surprised if it's difficult. Trust in the rescuing God. Let's pray.